Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 4. I don't know what page number we're at now. I think we're at about 670, somewhere around there. Um, so, I don't know. It's going to be somewhere close. Daniel chapter 4. It'll be on the screen as well. In the, in the soft cover Bibles, you can turn there. Um, and uh, as you're turning there, um, I want to let you know it's really important that after round one of the NCAA tournament, my bracket was fairly impressive. Uh, if anybody, who filled out brackets? Anybody fill out brackets for your March Madness? How many don't care about college basketball at all? Good, more of you. Okay. Well, for the four of you that do care, I had picked out 24 of 30 games correctly. I hadn't lost a single game into the second round, so my entire second round was intact, and I was feeling good about myself. Just, you know, my bracket's titled Guru Grex. That's my bracket. I mean, it was, I'm, I'm telling you, it was awesome. And I also need to let you know that I picked Villanova to win. And if you don't know what that means, that means I'm done. I'm done. I was feeling so good, and then the cliff just you know, I was feeling proud. I was like, man, I haven't watched college basketball all year, and look at how lucky I got. I'm just smart. See, I analyzed my data really good, you know. Next thing you know, I'm done. I went from, like, first place in my league to, like, all the way down. See, pride's a funny thing. As soon as you start feeling it, watch out, all right? Right? You get prideful, you know what's coming. Um, it's amazing how quickly we can be humbled. There's a story about uh, two ducks and a frog, who lived on a, in a pond on a farm. Uh, and they were, you know, really, they were best of friends, got along, spent a lot of time together, these, uh, these two ducks and a, and a frog. And uh, the hot summer came, and actually the pond started to dry up. And uh, it was soon evident they were going to have to move. And this wasn't a problem for the ducks, because they could just fly away, but it was a problem for the frog. Definitely a problem for the frog. Um, so it was decided that they would put a stick between the bills of each of the ducks that the frog would bite on, hold on, and that they would fly away and they would carry the frog to a, to a new pond. And I was like, wow, that's an great idea. And the plan actually worked. It worked so well that as they were flying along, the farmer looked up and he said, wow, that's a really, really brilliant idea. That's incredible. I wonder who thought of that. And the frog uh, just being wanted credit so quickly, just said, I did. For those who forgot, the frog was holding on to the stick with his mouth. Some of you still don't get it, but it's okay. Pride is a funny thing. <laughs> you know, it's, you just want credit sometimes, and it just gets you into trouble. Um, but I want to ask you today, what's the proudest moment of your life? Think back. What was the proudest moment of your life? Maybe it was, you know, a graduation. Maybe it was the day you got married. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe a promotion or a, an accomplishment. I finished a, a race, you know, or a, I set a goal the day. I, you know, I don't know what. Just maybe it was the day you were baptized, you know, coming to faith kind of a thing. Uh, maybe just the day you retired. I, I don't know. What was? Just think about it. What's, what was the proudest moment? Of your life. And it's interesting because what that moment is will tell you a lot about yourself, right? It tells you a lot about what you value, about what's important to you, by what's, 
by what uh, you've chosen there. And usually we want other people to notice what we're proud of because we think they care. <laughs> right? We want other people to, to really, really be invested. Man, I'm so proud of this. You ever have one of those moments, you're so proud of something, you show it to somebody and they go, it's nice. You're like, no, oh, oh, no, this is like the crowning moment of my life. And they dismiss it. Um, we want other people to care. C.S. Lewis said this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, but only out of having more of it than the next guy. Right? It's just, it's not so much about the thing, but you want people to be impressed Right? That's, that's, that's the, the pride. Now, not all pride is bad. Right? Not all pride is bad. John Maxwell said there are two kinds of pride. There's good and there's bad. Good pride represents our dignity, our self-respect. Like, I'm proud of my children. Like, they're doing great. You know, I'm proud of, you know, our team. I'm proud of our church. You know, things like that. Like, it's just, there's a sense of natural appreciation and gratitude. And that's, that's not bad. But bad pride is the deadly sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance. A man named William Beebe told a story about Teddy Roosevelt, and he said at Sagamore Hill, uh, after an evening of talking, the two would go out in the lawn, President Roosevelt and, and William, and they would search the skies for a certain spot of star-like light um, near the lower left-hand corner of the great square of Pegasus. And then President Roosevelt would re- recite this. They'd do this often. He'd recite this. He'd say, that is the spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way, this little light. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It consists of a hundred billion suns, each larger than our sun. Then Roosevelt would grin and say, Now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. At the end of every night, he would go up and just look and just remind himself who he was. So they were going to continue our series on uh, battles in Babylon and different looking at the story of Daniel and things that um, battles that he he faced. Week one we talked about the battle for identity, right? That only you can determine who determines you. Week two we looked at the battle for the impossible. You need to pray like your life depends on it because it does. Week three we looked at uh, the battle for your worship that God walks through fire with you. We talked about that last week and this week another battle and it's the battle we face every day. And it's pride, but it's not just pride. I think it's more than pride. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. And it starts with Nebuchadnezzar here, and he finds himself having probably what we would call the proudest day of his life. Is this moment where he is filled with pride. And I can tell you it doesn't end well. <laughs> it doesn't end well at all for Nebuchadnezzar. So let's read uh, Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 says this, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. So let's just remember, he's talking now. This is not Daniel. This is King Nebuchadnezzar writing this. And he says this, Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. This is Nebuchadnezzar, the king, talking about God. This is a polytheist. He believes in all gods, right? Just number... He doesn't care. He'll take a thousand gods. And he's talking about the Most High God, Jehovah, the God of Daniel. He says, how great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. Okay, what happened? (laughs) Why is he talking like that? He's about to tell us a story. Here we go, verse 4. He says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. 
like how you do every week. You go home to your palace and you live in comfort and prosperity. He says, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw my four-year-old child walking towards me in the middle of the night with her hair all... No, I'm kidding. He says, I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. Maybe some of you, that can be terrifying when you don't understand what's going on and it's dark and you just see hair, right? And a hand on your face like, what is going on? And then you realize it's your kid and they have to go to the bathroom. Verse 6, so I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. If you remember, he's done this before and it didn't go well. Come tell me my dream. And they were like, they got nothing. So this time, when all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, he says, I told them the dream. Right? He, last time he didn't tell me, he said, you got to tell me this time. He said, okay, fine, I'll tell you what the dream is. And it says, but they couldn't tell me what it meant. Now they've got the dream and they still can't figure it out. Something's not working here. So he says, at last Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. You can still hear all that polytheism in him. He says, oh, Daniel's God is good, but he's just one among many. He's a powerful God, but he's just one among many. And it says this, I said to him, Belteshazzar, Daniel, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. He says, while I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. And now he begins to unravel and untell the the dream. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. Sounds like the hobbit. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching into the high heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. So imagine this. He sees this big tree and now you see like an angel start descending. And the messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from the branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals along the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. I thought we were talking about a tree here. And you can see there's like a transition that happens in this as he's telling. He says, for this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone He chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Anybody have a dream like that? That's a weird dream, right? A big tree, angel comes down, it's like, cut it off. It's going to, let's put metal all around it, and it'll live out, and then it turns into a human, and it lives out there in the wild. Until it learns that, the tree better learn that God rules. What? It's a tree. Belteshazzar, verse 18, that was the dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the Spirit of the Holy God, you've done this before, Daniel. I know you can do this. You tell me what my dream means. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. The king had said to him, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And he replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. Uh-oh. You can, see, you can tell this is not, it's going to be bad. All right. Verse 20. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, 
reached high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. And I just want to be like Daniel. He just told you that. Does anybody like remember that thing you once said about the tree? Yeah, I just said it like I don't know. I just think that's comical. There's really no spiritual point to that. I just think it's interesting. Daniel's repeating what he just said to him. All right. So anyway, verse 22, that tree, your majesty. Is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. I mean, he's king of Babylon, the greatest known power in the world at that time. And he says this, then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming up again. Yes, I know. He just said this. Skip down to verse 24. He tells him again. This is what he said. He said, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. You will be driven from human society and will live in the fields with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. That means you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Anytime you're reading scripture and see a phrase or something repeated over and over again, pay attention. Really, there's something to that. There's emphasis. And you're seeing this over and over again that until you learn that heaven rules, until you learn that heaven rules, until you learn that heaven rules. And he says again, again, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Now Daniel steps out. I interpreted the dream. That's my job. But now he goes a step farther and says, now I'm going to tell you. This is what I think you should do. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Daniel's like, hey man, you don't have to go here. God's telling you this is the road you're on, but I'm telling you, you don't have to go there. Verse 28, but all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he's taken a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. Right, So he's on the roof. Now, not uncommon in there to have flat roofs. And uh, he was walking and he looked out across the city and from the palace he could probably see all of, most of the city. I mean, it's a large city. And he said, look at this great city of Babylon. You ready for these words? By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. That's what I say every time I walk in my door at home. I go, this by my own mighty power have I built to display my majestic splendor. This is my royal residence. Don't you say that when you walk home? Come on, walk home today. And just when you walk home today, just go walk home. This is my royal residence, displaying my majestic splendor. Now listen, his kingdom stretched from Egypt, modern-day Egypt, to western Iran, from northern Syria into Saudi Arabia. This is a rendering of what Babylon looked like. You can guess which one is his palace. As he's looking out on that. Can you imagine why he might have been feeling a little bit of pride? Like, he's the king of all of this. And Babylon contained two at that time of the seven ancient wonders of the world. I don't know if you know this. They had the, the city walls and the hanging gardens. The outer wall stretched for more than five miles. That, the outer wall was stretched for more than five miles. And it had enough surface space for a four-horse chariot to turn around. This was just the walls. The wall, I mean, 
think about it. Four horses. I mean, so it's got to be maybe like the size of this stage. You know, a little. But four horses side by side could actually do a turn just on the wall. This is mighty. So that wall was one of the seven ancient wonders, but also the hanging gardens of Babylon. They were described as a remarkable feat of engineering, an ascending series of tiered gardens containing all manners of trees and shrubs and vines. I know Vani and Larry went to the flower show. Right? Philly flower show. Right? I saw some pictures. It was a nice flower show. Nothing. Could you imagine what the hanging gardens of Babylon looked like? Like, I mean, just imagine the, the, every tree and shrub in all the world just on tiered thing. It said it looked like a mountain, like a building made out of just, of just green, a green, like, pyramid. Oh, man, I, I, it would be awesome to see, right? Wouldn't, that be, wouldn't it be awesome to see? So he's, he's seeing all this, right? He's got the walls and he has gardens and all this thing. And look at what I've built. He has a reason to be prideful. I mean, it was probably incredibly impressive. Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth. My majestic splendor. While it's in his mouth, a voice calls down from Kevin. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You ready? You are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. Oh, man. This guy, he is feeling himself. He's about to get squished. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way. Here it is again. Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. So it's a long way from the palace to eating grass like a cow. That's a, that's, that's a long way. Could you think of something more humbling for a king? For a king to go from that to eating grass like a cow? The same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. And he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So basically, he looked like every male in their 20s right now. Okay. Long hair. Big beard. And he ate like them too because he's eating grass. So he's vegan or something, right? So he's completely a hipster. He, that's what happened. Nebuchadnezzar, God said, your punishment is you turn into a hipster. It says, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. Seven years. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshipped the Most High God and honored the One who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the peoples of earth are nothing compared to him. What he does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the peoples of earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? He said, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. And he closes with this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of Heaven. All His acts are just and true, and He is able to humble the proud. Wow, that's a powerful story. Humility and pride. Have you ever heard the saying that if you see a turtle on a fence post, 
you know he had some help getting there. Have you ever heard, anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Nobody. Has new? New? All right, a few people have heard it. Wow, okay, good. Well, I will say this. If you see a king or queen on a throne, you know they had some help. If you see a pastor on a stage, you know he had some help getting there. You know I had help getting here. See, Nebuchadnezzar thought he deserved credit for everything he had achieved. And then he realized that he was just a turtle on a fence post. And it took losing it all to see the truth. So that's it for today. The lesson is very simply this. You are a turtle. Own it. Or, or else you'll be eating grass like a cow until you admit that you're a turtle. We're all turtles. That's it. Um, actually, I think there's a little bit more. Most of us would agree that God deserves the credit for everything good that happens in our lives, right? Um, he gave us everything we have, and we acknowledge that often. When Daniel wrote this book, though, he wasn't writing the story about Nebuchadnezzar to teach us about pride. That wasn't what this was about. He was writing to Jews back in Jerusalem who were still living under the oppressive you know, rule of the Babylonians. They were captives. Right? They were conquered people. He's writing to them. Life wasn't awful, but they weren't free. Nebuchadnezzar was in charge, and he didn't honor God. Daniel wasn't writing them to warn them against being prideful. They're a conquered people. Do you think they're prideful? Yeah, I'm feeling it, man. I'm top of the slave chart today, right? Like they're not—they're not prideful about where they are because they're—they're conquered people right now. Why would he warn people who are down about being prideful? That's not what he was doing. Daniel was doing was saying the same thing that he's been saying throughout the entire book, every story so far. He was telling them and reminding them of this, despite present circumstances, despite what things look like, God is in control. It looks like Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. It may look like the Babylonian king is the most powerful person on the planet but let me tell you something. Let me, I know you guys think that Nebuchadnezzar was great and powerful and you're oppressed people, but let me tell you something. That great king, he was eating grass like a cow, like a heifer. He's out there chewing on grass. He lost his mind. He lost all that stuff because God is in control. He said, and listen, this is what the most powerful king had to say. The most powerful king in the known world said, our God does miraculous signs and wonders. The most powerful king in the world, he said that our God's rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. The king said that no one can compare to our God. The king said that our God does whatever he pleases and no one can stop him. The king said that no one even has the right to question him. The king of Babylon said all that. He's letting the people know, hey, doesn't matter what it looks like, God's on the throne. So what? So what today? Was it just a a little warning? Don't be prideful? No. Here's the thing. Yes, you're a turtle on a fence post. We're all turtles on a fence post. But that's the thing. Everybody's a turtle on a fence post. All people are turtles on fence posts. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter who is sitting on the throne. It doesn't matter who's on the throne. The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and He gives them to anyone He chooses. Let me ask you this morning, are you fearful of those who sit on thrones above you? 
I've got great news. They're a turtle on a fence post. God rules. The only power they have is what God allows them to have. Your life is in His hands. It doesn't matter what life looks like. God's got it. God's got it. If you're feeling the pain of oppression, of hostility, of a hurtful or prideful person, ask God to reveal the truth to them. Listen, just send them pictures of cows. Just, no, I'm kidding. Don't do that. But it would be for their good to know that God rules. Pray for them. But let me tell you, if you're fearful of somebody right now who's in authority, don't be. They're a turtle. God put them there. God can move them. He's got the power. Perhaps today you're jealous of those who sit on thrones above you. Why are they in that seat? It should have been me. I should be there. They don't deserve that. Of course they don't. They're a turtle on a fence post. They don't deserve that at all. But let's not forget what Nebuchadnezzar learned. No one can stop God or say to him, what do you mean by doing things? God, why them? You don't have the right to ask that. Why are they in power and not me? Who are we to question if God chooses to put someone in a seat? God can put any turtle on any fence post he wants. It's quiet in here. How about praying for those people to fulfill that role well instead of wishing that you were in their seat? And finally today, are you on a throne? Do you sit on a post somewhere? Every parent sits on a throne. At school, you sit on thrones. At work, everyone from the CEO to the custodian has a throne somewhere. We all sit on some sort of throne. That's a joke. Guard against pride. Proverbs says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Let me tell you, you want to get proud? The lesson here isn't, you know, hey, don't get proud. You're going to end up mooing like a cow. But if you get prideful, right? Don't. We've got to know who we are. But it's also not just about us. It was about everybody else. Everybody is put there because God did it. We've got no room to boast about anything. If you boast about anything, boast about this. I know God and God's in control. Boast in Him only. John Maxwell said this, Leaders who fail to prune their pride will meet demise. That's not a guess. It's a guarantee. With pride, it's not a matter of if we will fall, but when. There are no exceptions. Pride always comes before the fall. From my brackets are greats, and there goes Villanova to look at what I built. I'm eating grass. Pride precedes the fall. Because God wants everyone to remember He rules. He rules. And today, today, that's really good news. It's really good news that God rules. If God is ruling, it means I don't need to make everything happen. It means I'm not in charge of all this stuff. I don't carry the weight of it all. It means it's not up to me. Yeah, I might not get credit, but I also don't get the garbage that goes with it and the stress and the pressure. God rules. Listen, He's the only one capable of ruling. We know that the higher we go up in terms of authority, the more stressful it gets, yes? The more responsibility, it's not like this is more fun. 
Like, power is great. Yeah, if you actually held power, you know the weight of that. You know what stress does to the body because you carry the weight of those things. Pride is you saying, I'm taking credit for this. And here's the deal. Never forget who gave you the mind, the aptitude, the favor, the lucky breaks, the wisdom, and the strength to do what you do. Yes, your work matters. And people notice and we feel good when we're appreciated. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just never get to the point where you take credit for things that God alone has done. Don't get to that place. Taking credit for someone else's work, there are words for those. Plagiarism. Fraud. Don't take credit for things that only God has done. If we will stay humble and refuse to take credit for what he's done, we've got really good news. You get to eat real food again. And Nikki, you can come on down. We're going to end in just a moment. You get to eat donuts and cake and ice cream and steak. That's what you get when you, when you come back. No more, no more grass. Really, see, see, grass is a bad thing. See, salad is bad. It's right there in the Bible. Salad is punishment. I know, I know. Kids are listening. That's not true. Eat healthy, everybody. God gives you your sanity back. You get to stop that long hair stuff. No more hipster stuff. You get to shave again and look normal. When we stay humble, here's the thing. When we stay humble, when we recognize that God rules over all things, here's the biggest word that we're going to have from the morning. Ready? Peace. Peace. When you learn that heaven rules, peace. God's got it. We don't have to make it all happen. I don't fear others. I'm not jealous of others. I can be happy in whatever seat I find my butt in. Right? I'm okay here. I don't need to be in charge. I'm just a turtle. You're a turtle. Everybody's turtles. What did you learn at church today? We talked about turtles. Oh, we talked about ducks and frogs and cows too. I'm telling you, today is like the farm sermon. That's what it is today. Peace. God can give you peace. You go back and look at the dream. says this until you learn until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses you're going to fight this battle and the battle is for your pride but it's not just about pride of hey I'm proud look at what I did the pride is this until, the battle is to learn this lesson that the most high rules over all the kingdoms of the world all the kingdoms. He rules. None of us can take credit for it. If people want to take credit for it, they're foolish. Everybody else knows it. All authority is given by God. He puts us where He puts us because He knows that's where we need to be. He rules. So I don't know what you got out of that today. I don't know if it made any sense. If you're just happy that you're a turtle. I don't know if maybe you like turtles. I don't know. But there's something to humility. And humility, for me, as I understand it, 
is seeing things clearly. That's it. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not putting yourself down. That's just being miserable. Humility is saying, I, had a, I served under a pastor in Pennsylvania when I was in college. And he used to say, humility is holding God's hand. I didn't understand it at all. Like, I don't even, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what you're talking about. Humility is holding God's hand. But he said, like, like a little kid walking into, you know, walking through Target, who holds their parent's hand if they just kind of walk through the store. Does the kid have any idea where they're going? No. Does the kid have any fear about where they're going? No. The kid's just holding, just trusting, knowing the relationship. I'm the, I'm the child. You're the parent. You got me. I'm just going to hold your hand and trust you. Humility is understanding that God is big, but I am not. And that's okay. And I don't want his seat. And I don't want him in my seat. I don't want to be God. I want him to rule. I'm going to hold your hand, God. I'm just going to trust you. Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself than you ought to. Seeing things clearly. God is God. He's made me. He's made everybody else too. He loves me. He loves everybody else too. He didn't put me here because I'm better than anybody else. He put me here because he thought in his wisdom this is where I fit. Humility. It's nothing to be prideful about. Just a turtle on a fence post. But God loved me enough to put me there because he thought that's what was good for me. So, we're going to sing give you a few minutes, just in your seat, say, God, what are you saying to me today? God, are there areas in my life where I've been prideful? Are there areas in my life where I'm fearful of others, where I'm jealous of others? God, what are you doing? What are you speaking to me today? Just take a few minutes to respond, and then a moment we'll close our service. We'll let the team sing and uh, do some business with God for a few minutes. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online.